Or at Dog Earthlets. My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 189th episode of Space Spinner 2000 podcast, where two Americans are going to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for September and October 1988, progs 591 to 594. This episode... Nemesis the Warlock goes clubbing, PJ maybe <laughs> returns, Zenith meets the CIA, and the Moonrunners are starting some sexy business. Oh, man. And it's so good. I, I fucking, I mean, I love Moonrunners. <laughs> oh, man. All right. If you, if you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files 12 and the Daily Dreads Volume 2. Nemesis the Warlock Volume 3, Slain the King, Zenith Phase 2, and the Judge Dread Magazine 282. Oh my god, I got so many magazines. Fair amount. Yeah, I think uh, the magazine is where you'll find, um, what you call it, uh, that's where this chopper story is hiding out um, in, in, in the pages of the magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but speaking of uh, not hiding out, Fox. Oh man. <laughs> or possibly actually hiding out because you're, you're you're acting like you don't have superpowers or whatever. It's Thrill One Zenith. Always good to open on an explosion, I feel like. Definitely. Yeah, script robot Grant Morrison, art robot Steve Yole, letting robot Mark King. Zenith, superhero teen, or maybe early 20s now, is getting his ass beat on a video screen <laughs> as two men look on. I guess the beater is named Warhead, and one of these guys is an old man called Payne, who will remember is the creator of superhumans back in World War II earlier this mm-hmm. year. Weird looks bald like, dude. Has a fascination yeah. with superpowers. Got a cane. It looks like Warhead's a huge robot, and while Zenith has picked up a lot of fighting um, techniques from that battle with Master Man, he's still very much an amateur at this sort of thing and doesn't realize his full potential. Hey, well, that's going to change real quick here. Yeah. Zenith was nearly beaten when uh, beaten when Warhead was taken up by a flashing light by a stroboscope that brought on a seizure. Here's also where we see that the other man has kind of a floppy mullet beard and is wearing a cloud nose. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, I guess that's coming into into use later. I don't know. Yeah, well, Seems he's a also, lot. Yeah, he uh, like it's important to know that this is taking place on like February fifth. And he's wearing a Red Nose Day t-shirt because that w- that's the first day of the comic relief telethon in 88. Um, okay. And it's called Red Nose Day. You're supposed to like wear like a clown nose and stuff like that to show that you're, per- uh, you know, supporting um, raising money for this big telethon. Okay. For uh, for comic relief. So, uh, yeah, right. big deal in the UK in 88. I, def- I know for me, when I first read this, I didn't know anything about that. And so I just thought we had some sort of weird clown-based supervillain. But, like, yeah. not, not like the Joker, but like a real, like, lazy clown supervillain, I guess. <laughs> or maybe he just doesn't have a nose, so all of his henchmen have to wear noses. Something like, like that, yeah. But, yeah, no, that now makes a lot more sense than uh, also humanizes some of these henchmen that you just see goofing around. <laughs> Totally. Anyhow, after the stroboscope, Zenith kicked Warhead out and the baddies lost their camera view. But who had that scope? Well, we cut back to Zenith's apartment and we learn it's being held by Phaedra Kale of the CIA. Mm. She's a lady. Yeah. She's got like cool curly hair and she has that no business or no funny business attitude that you expect out of the CIA. Yeah. She's the one who left that uh, get out of there message in last in uh, last week's episode. Or last mm-hmm. episode, I should say. Um, 
And she sort of heads off, but tantalizes Zenith with the secret of his parents. Dick move. Totally. Back in the bad guy base, the baddies talk about getting Zenith back, but they must be patient. There's something about um, something about missiles. I don't know. And then Pace uh, looking at the picture at, at the uh, photos from the fight says Zenith has his mother's eyes, and the other guy Wallace says, "Yeah, real gross." I close thought up on I the eyes. had them, and we get a close up of an eyeball in a jar. Yeah, it's very t- uh, uh, hot shots kind of move here. Uh, come on. Uh, later, we're at a fancy office building in London talking to Eddie, Zenith's agent, about all this. Seeming real, uh, real like trying to blow this whole CIA thing off. Like, nah, it's not a good idea. Yeah. Phaedra reintroduces herself here. We learn that she's from a section of the CIA set up to monitor superhuman activity. That seems like uh, a good idea when they exist, right? You'd think so. Yeah. I don't know. Eddie makes the standard joke about U.S. intelligence. Uh, 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 as Zenith toys around with her red nose and asks why Eddie isn't wearing it for comic relief. Um, and that panel with Zenith with the nose was a big one. I remember in just in the lead up to this thing and like the uh, pro- mm. promotional materials and stuff. Uh, Phaedra says that they've gotten evidence of violation of the superhuman test ban treaty proven by that crazy robot thing that attacked Zenith. Yeah. Uh, Phaedra and Eddie argue back and forth. And finally, Zenith uses his super strength to flick the red nose past them at bullet speed through the office window. Missed. Darn. Also, just a weird random question. Since she's a CIA person who's, you know, supposed to be part of a group that watches this sort of thing. Mm hmm. It seems like the whole watching would then kind of behoove you for some amount of preparedness for something like, uh, I don't know, a robot suit man called Warhead to smash up a building. She was prepared. She had that stroboscope. I guess. Well, I would, yeah, but then, she was like, on her way started... there. She like called him while she was <laughs> on her way, and as soon as she showed up, she she uh, expertly like like sub- subdued the the uh, the, the robot men. The, yeah, the but then men. he proceeded to thrash him through a bunch of fucking like walls and shit. Yeah, well, you know that's just fun. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's that's just like kick them while they're down, right? Yeah. So it seems Payne is based in the Scottish Highland, and Phaedra wants Zenith to come along with her to check it out. And in the end, Zenith seems to agree, and he and Phaedra are headed to the airport to head to Glasgow and beyond. And of course, not before making a bunch of Scotch Scott jokes. Indeed. Eddie sees them off with some dire warnings about Zenith's career, but then his secretary screams because she saw somebody outside Eddie's window, despite the fact that they're 17 stories up. And, of course, we see two people flying away. Hmm. Wonder what that's all about. Mystery. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, Payne walks down a hallway in uh, Shalion, uh, uh, Scotland, which is a very hard thing to pronounce. <laughs> um, as the HMS resolves submarines in the North Sea and Defense Secretary Peter Singed MP is being interviewed the next day. Three stories going on at once to test Conrad. I, I accept your challenge. Oh, um, my God. <laughs> Payne tells Wallace that Zenith is on his way as Wallace is hacking into the Resolve's weapon systems. And the sailors notice um, notice this happening as Sinjin is denying that he's using his psychic powers to help the conservative party in government. Hey, man. I mean, you know, why would he use his? I mean, I guess this is said later. 
You know. I mean, it's a very like it's very classic. Like, oh, why would I let you question me at all? It's like, ah, that's that, that Matrix stuff in there. You got to have some mm-hmm. some things in there to you know not make people question you or something. Anyway, real um, real plots within plots with this guy, huh? Yeah, Wallace decries the lack of permissive action links in these submarines and explains that he built the uh, computers for the all these systems. Although it's interesting because I looked up what permissive permissive action links are, and the first thing that they talk about was how they're used in nuclear subs. So whatever. But it's basically the idea that that to launch a nuke, like you have to like turn two – like you have to turn two keys at the same time. You have to be Mm – you know, they're like in a position where where one person couldn't turn them at once. So like two people have to kind of be there to like, you know, confirm launching nukes and stuff. you can't just shoot off a nuclear bomb if you're just one man who's insane. Yeah, unless you're – unless you really know what you do and you kind of uh, Richard Pryor in Superman 3 your way into making it happen. (laughs) Um, Oh, god damn it. So uh, anyway, um, he Wallace built all the computers for this stuff, complete with back doors and things to let him uh, hack into these submarines. Well, yeah, and, he was like uh, he was a guy who made a bunch of money on the Vigi Widgies, right? Exactly. Um, as sailors uh, nervous talk nervously to command, and Sidges called off the stage for something urgent. I don't know if I mentioned this, but uh, I think. The, the the top two stories taking place in in, in uh, February fifth, and then Sinjin's doing stuff in, in February sixth, the next day, as mm. I recall. Yeah. So uh, Wallace retargets two of the nukes aboard the Resolve as these sailors get a printout that shock the commander reading it. I looked up the insignia on his uh, epaulets, know what his rank was, and uh, Sinjin takes a call from Whitehall, which is the center of British government, about this submarine. The Resolve's missiles are targeting London. Do- both? Yeah. Well, you know, you got to be thorough. And oh, um, God. <laughs> everyone's either self-satisfied or shocked about it. <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, you know, seems like, uh, I mean, it seems like Mandala's pretty not all right with this. <laughs> yeah, well, he's the defense secretary. It's pretty bad look when your nukes get retargeted at, right at you when you yourself right. are in charge of defense. Up until this point, I had figured that he was the James Bond villain that was kind of, you know, oh, my God, I'm the guy in the position oh, yeah. who's actually, you know, pushing the button kind of thing. But he seems well, just as shocked. Yeah. From what we can see so far, at least, he's not the mastermind, unless he's one of those wheel with wheels within wheels masterminds or something like that. Seems somewhat plausible. Hey, I'm always ready to tack it up to Mandala, man. He's got he's a smart psychic dude. Yeah, man. So on February 6th, Zenith and Phaedra are on the plane to London, making fun of each other's names. Uh, Zenith asks about his parents, and we do see some super beings flying alongside their plane, which is kind of funny because it means these guys must be way more powerful than, say, Zenith and Ruby Fox in the previous version of Zenith, where they were about the same speed as a train instead of, um, you know, plane speed. And, And weren't they effectively just gliding? I mean, they were flying. I don't think it was like – like they weren't doing Incredible Hulk where it's big jumps. I think they were directly flying. <laughs> I but only take big jumps. They weren't going at like – you know, they weren't super – they weren't like going hundreds of miles an hour is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, of course not. And certainly not at what, like 30,000 feet? Yeah, exactly. These guys are above this plane and keeping pace with it. So we learn about the base in Scotland, a hollowed out mountain once owned by the government, but now owned by Scott Wallace, a computer guy who got rich off of arcade games in the 70s and recently tried to cross the Atlantic in a shoebox or something. Very Richard Branson again. So it's like Richard Branson made Atari. Exactly. So uh, this is (laughs) connected to- Atari stayed alive. (laughs) I mean, in 88, Atari's still kind of doing something, I feel like. Yeah, you know. 
Maybe he's like a Commodore man. Good at 5200 or something. But uh, mm-hmm. anyhow, all this is connected to Zenith because one, uh, there was a Wallace International van parked outside of Zenith's apartment when he was attacked, mm. which I confirmed. It's in Prague 590. And then Wallace was recently uh, Wallace has recently hired that pain guy, the last person to see Zenith's parents alive. This seems suspicious. And he's got he's got his mom's eyes. Pretty weird. Sounds well, like a bad dude. I mean, they don't know that, but indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Zenith misses all this is some James Bond stuff. Oh yeah, Doctor Payne, whatever. Yeah, which uh, you know, I mean, I'd be pretty stoked to be po- pulled in by a CIA agent to some James Bond stuff. Me too. Yeah, but especially if the guy were called Doctor Payne. But you know, Zenith, he's this Gen X, doesn't care about nothing kind of superhero. You know, goddamn millennials. <laughs> Not a millennial. God damn it. Oh, anyway. Yes. <laughs> Although I guess goddamn Gen X was the goddamn millennial of 1988, now that I'm thinking Amen. about it. <laughs> They've been using millennial since the 1900s, babe. Whoa. Um, uh, <laughs> so it's kind of funny to Zenith, at least, that um, Phaedra takes the superhero stuff so seriously. And to me, I think it's funny just because Zenith, who's an actual superhero, is very dismissive of it. He accuses mm. her and all Americans of just being jealous. Y'all just jealous. And uh, Phaedra <laughs> accuses her, um, excuses herself to the bathroom and a dude in the plane sees someone flying outside of it. Oh, no. There's something on the wing. I saw it, too. Uh, whatever. Uh, they arrive at Glasgow. Beautiful. It's raining, of course. And we see some passengers coming off with big sombreros. I don't know what's going on. Um <laughs> They have a rental car. They they get a rental car and head out. Phaedra explaining that Zenith can't understand how weird it is for there to be superhumans for real and wonders what's next. Zenith says to just keep watching the skies as we, in fact, see some superheroes or superhumans zooming overhead. Mm, ominous. Uh, bo, bo, bo. Speaking of old friends returning, Fox. Oh, man. Oh, man. I love me some mean. Thrill to Daily Dreads. Who boy, yeah. and I love I love the uh, this this story of how Mean Machine got mean is very Mean Angel, or I guess Absolutely. just Angel in in general. Yeah, very Angel gang. Uh, script here about John Wagner, and Alan Grant, art about Ian Gibson. So last week, Fox, we saw Mean Machine Angel be sprung from jail by his currently dead family. What's up with that? Hey, you know what? What do they know? Yeah, let's flash back to the early days where just plain Mean Angel, not a machine yet, was a nice boy smelling the flowers and definitely not shooting and robbing like his brothers. So sitting next to his ma's grave kissing flowers. That's right. Something had to be done, so Pa Angel brought in a top biometric surgeon and Mean Machine Angel was born, got all cyborged up. I mean, I don't see why they had to remove one of his arms and make it a crazy ass claw. Or give him, I, I mean, mean, I get the bullet brain part. While you got the hood up, you might as well put that arm on, man. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, yeah, so many many years later, he's on the loose at Public Enemy number one. Ooh, baby. Back in the present, Mean is talking to his father and brothers as two folks look on through one-way glass. Pa Angel asks Mean where the Angel Gang stashed their loot. But gall dirt it, Mean don't remember. He got that there amnesia. Oh, my God. We all got the amnesia. Oh, no. So Dredd gets the call. There's a Mean Machine sighting. Apparently, there's been over 10,000 reports so far. They all must be checked. Dredd bursts into an apartment where an old lady is accusing what I think is her son of being Mean Machine. And Dredd takes her off to the Psycho Cubes. Yeah, man. You don't just call 
the judges, you are going to get arrested. <laughs> Someone's getting arrested. They don't go yeah. out there for nothing. Meanwhile, at Roboco Robotics, the Angel Gang is asking Mean Machine where the loot was. And Mean just seems to be saying they don't, they weren't really a long-term loot kind of gang, if you get what I mean. Yeah, I mean, not they a, didn't. They were more in it for the anarchy, it seemed like to me. Yeah, not a lot of long-term planning. Like, oh, when we retire, then we'll settle in this nest egg, you know. Yeah, um, no, that didn't seem like a Pie Angel plan. <laughs> Yeah. The dudes behind the glass make Paw Angel ramp up his questioning and in response mean box his own paw. Oh man, and let the balking begin. Yeah, reveals him to be a Galdern robot. Oh Nobody my god. impersonates my paw. Just like crashes or crushes the fucking head of yeah. the paw angel bot and then just starts balking the body. <laughs> Definitely. The controllers realize that their plan has failed. There probably isn't going to be any Angel Gang loot. Uh, they instead have Junior Angel go to kill Mean. But, buddy, Mean's skull is bulletproof. And now he's pissed. <laughs> yeah, man. He could just bock those bullets away. And, you know, once in a while, I guess that bullet might hit him and turn him all the way up to four. I mean, the thing about Mean Machine is that I think... I can't guarantee this, but it really seems like after... Uh, the judge child brought him back to life. He's become pretty much invulnerable. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, he's too mean to die. That's true. <laughs> um, so, Dred's headed to the scene as Mean Rampage as he breaks into the control room. Is just going Bach mad. One of the guys runs and Means follows, dive bombing from a high from a high building. Dive bombing, I should say. Uh, <laughs> Dread's getting close, but means Dial is stuck on four and a half, and he's in a buddy budding frenzy. He'll butt your part of your car apart. Man, my favorite part is when he box one guy, and then it makes him box a whole bunch of people in a line. That was real Just good. Chain box reaction. It's beautiful. So Fox, there's only one way to deal with a butt frenzy, and that's to kick Mean Machine into a burger bar. Oh my god! And to have his like head stick out from the actual sign, so he's wearing the sign. Yeah, but when that doesn't work, Judge Dredd has to think fast, even especially after his bike gets butted to pieces. <laughs> mean suddenly realizes it's not just any judge, it's Dredd, and the two start to fight. Mean busting Dredd's nose and helmet with a backwards headbutt, which is pretty awesome. Uh, Man, real good. Crushes his helmet. Yeah, totally. Uh, Dredd hits Mean in... Um, they keep fighting all this stuff, but eventually Dredd hits Mean in the dial with a kick, which sends it back down to one, and things cool down. Mean's taken away to be lobotomized, and the guys at the RoboCo factory are arrested. Uh, the company was in dire financial straits, so they figured that they could find the lost loot of the Angels to make up for their financial uh, uh, <sighs> losses. But in the end, all, they, they did all that death and destruction for no money. What a waste, but Dredd is not sympathetic and gives the survivor 50 years in the cubes. I mean, two of the people who died were judges. This was not going to end well. No, bad times. And speaking of weird, uh, or, or, or sorry, speaking of companies desperately trying to make extra money, Fox. <laughs> yes. Guile, darn capitalisms. Thrill three, moon runners. It ain't easy making all this money what in the center of a galaxy and such. Space, yeah. Oh, the old Duke boys. What are they going to do this time? I mean, uh, uh, the biggest. Oh, wait, I'll let you actually introduce. Sorry. Script about Alan McKenzie and Steve Parkhouse. Art robot Massimo Bellardinelli. Letting robot Parkhouse, either Steve or Annie, and Jack Potter. 
Man, oh man, Bellardinelli's back doing the space trucker thing. Moon runners, the move, the run with the moony touch. Oh my god. Um, yeah, like you said, we're back to crazy aliens and space trucking with Massimo Bellardinelli on art. With some extra halter tops, mini skirts, and corporate intrigue. It's moon runners. Maybe not oh, the greatest. Man. Huzzah! <laughs> what? Maybe there's witchcraft in space. It's all there's right. A lot, a lot of stuff. Imagine they hauled a rock um, 350 miles long into the violent heart of the galaxy, then ran a huge intergalactic shipping agent, um, sh- shipping industry from it. Yeah, so is this like, I mean, they're clearly humans. So oh, it's yeah. like the human future? I mean, it's a future with humans for sure. I think they seem like they be, seem to be the big corporate owners here at the very least. Yeah, and they seem to be able to travel to other galaxies and whatever. Well, I mean, at the very least, within the, the this one galaxy, because Terminus is in the center, I guess it's sort of equidistant from all uh, all destinations or something like that. Sure. I mean, this could be very far in the you know far in the future from Ace Trucking, or even at the same time as Ace Trucking. But this is more of the sort of like you know on the pulse, like big corporate stuff. As yeah. opposed to the, the 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 little freelancers out in the beehive bee or whatever else in a, in in a trucking. It's got like a uh, it's got like a dangerous tailspin kind of attitude. See, to me, I feel like it has more of a of of of, of like a Dallas feel of just Ooh. these like corporate people have doing stuff, and then also maybe some guys on the ground doing things as well. Yeah, I'm into that. Yeah, we uh we pan over Terminus and we get some great Ballardinelli, you know, sci-fi cityscapes here. Always Hell really yeah. good. Uh, besides regular shippers, there's also Moon Runners, which are old freighters past their sell-by dates that haul special, often extremely dangerous cargo or, or cargo that no one will touch, like the pickled Grubers currently being carried by the spirit of St. Louis of the <laughs> Van Hertz line. Oh, there we go, baby. Yeah, we see the St. Louis entering subspace, or embracing the bitch, as it's called, by going through <laughs> this giant curtain window that opens up in the middle of space. Yeah, I didn't know if that was like hallucinations or something. They really are getting on this whole like subspace makes people crazy thing. Yeah, what was it I that we it, went through in the other one, the underverse? Yeah, uh, they mentioned this underspace stuff very vaguely in Tribal Memories, I think. It yeah. Wasn't like a, it, was, it was sort of a side thing. It wasn't a main thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, well, oh, I should also mention pickled Gruber's kind of sounds close to Shickle Gruber, which is Hitler's like like real last name or whatever. But whatever else. Oh, what um, the? F- <laughs> it's just a pun. I'm thinking, kind of a funny. Yeah, because they're stinky of and no one wants to deal with it. You know. Indeed. Um. Oh yeah. Sorry. I, I want to say the uh, the curtain space window kind of reminds me of of how they do hyperspace in Dune as well. A, kind of a similar sort of ah, yeah, door yeah. opens in space kind of feel. Mm. Inside the ship, a sailor is causing is uh, is chasing a sharp tooth flying blat bug kind of a uh, parasite thing. Yeah, real shoots gross it. looking. Yeah, he shoots it with a bolt from his wrist harpoon, which pierces the pickled Gruber, Gruber container and splashes the content onto another crewman. They yeah, start to fight. Don't be a dingus shooting off your cool grapple hook all over the place, you frogman weirdo. Get out of here. They start Amateur to fight. Move. When another sailor, who's sort of this pointy-eared monkey wolf kind of guy. Oh, man, he's awesome. Yeah. Shows up, disarms them, and tells them to mop the place up. We learn his name is is, is Master Kempo. Man, Mr. he Kempo. broke a dude's arm and then just immediately said, now get back to work. Definitely. And he's called to the bridge by skunk-haired Han Solo clone Captain Flynn. 
beautiful. He's got kind of a he, oh he's he, he's got kind of a braided ponytail as well. I should mention. Man, you you know that uh, that he's all business because he's got that racing stripe. Definitely. <laughs> a sort of mandrill slash dog engineer is working on a console and is planning what he'll do when they get to port and get paid out for some rest and relaxation. But the ship's oh, pirate, yeah. a, 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 a being in black with a sweet mask that looks like it's based on a uh, Malay, uh, Malian Ntumo mask, which is in the British Ooh. Museum and reminds me basically this might be another example of Bella Arginelli sort of finding some cool stuff in the British Museum and making it into sort of art on his comics like a like a yeah. Feek was in Ace Trucking. I mean, says, he's like, what I love is that he's actually yeah. holding up the mask to his face. Yeah, he's got multiple arms and one sort of holds up the mask and the other sort of pilot the ship. Mm-hmm. And he says, the trip ain't over yet. And that might mean there's bad stuff coming. Oh, no. The psychic <laughs> precognition. Something. On Terminus, a lady in a strappy evening gown and a big hairdo, Miss Veda Van Hertz, and her major dome will be behind her, are negotiating selling three Moonrunner ships to a lady in a mini skirt and like a kind of top thing that's got, it's got like holes so you can see her cleavage and her, and her belly button. It's called a boob window. Yeah, but well, it's a belly window also, but also has like long sleeves. And <laughs> it's. Uh, all I'm saying is that uh, good good on these guys for high-powered executives being, uh, like, predominantly female. But, you know, you lose points because they're basically all wearing lingerie. Yeah, and there, there's a younger lady in a mini dress as well. It seems a lady behind the desk is yeah. asking a lot of money but offers the profits from the spirit of St. Louis as a sweetener. The younger lady, Carol, is skeptical about all this. But her mom shuts her down. It seems her grandma, Clara Ogilvy Nash, has died recently. And the oh. mom, Kara Nash, needs time to think about it, but rejects the offer of the St. Louis's divvy. Yep. Uh, Kara briefly yells at Carol, then gets back to work. She has some other pilot um, go to pick up Captain Flynn's cargo and then calls the captain herself. She says she's bought the ship and that she's sending him to a new destination with a new cargo with a tight deadline to deliver it. Flip up Josh's men. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's time for freaking shore leave. You know, like they're they're doing a long haul through subspace. That seems yeah. like things you should be upset about. Hey, Kara doesn't want to hear that shit. And Flynn says his men into action. And as Mister Kempo, the bosun or first officer, maybe I can't tell, um, do a security check on the crew in case of Van Hurt's agents. Oh yeah. Kara gives Carol the papers for the ships and goes to make some calls, but it seems like the Van Hertz are able to listen in on all this and are planning to use the opportunity to screw with the Ogilvy Nash family. Well, seems like uh, the captain had the right gumption there. Indeed, yeah. He always pays to be paranoid when it comes to space trucking. Um, <laughs> Actually, that's, that's uh, pretty fair dues. Yeah, listen, I read an annual about it, whatever. Um, the Spirit of St. Louis is headed to Tamra's world with 700 tons of machinery, or so they say, but the space cops are scanning them and want to make sure and, like, you know, don't believe their cover story. Nah, man. Flynn has the pirate band Raku uh, try to lose the custom ships before they jump, but it seems they can't uh, lose their tracking. Meanwhile, at Terminus, Carol has been out shopping, but now she and Kara, uh, Kara have to go to a cocktail party, and Kara wants to wear this, uh, this uh, you know, green beret-style beret, and Kara doesn't want her to? I don't know. Yeah, um, it's like this whole thing which eventually 
just kind of like devolves into first this woman says or the girl says don't don't be so old and i'm like i your mother looks nearly the same age as you first and foremost like is there age on here how do we know what do we know let's find out it kind of, okay, okay, Fox. Okay, Mr. <laughs> Peanut Butter Fox. Um, but yeah, so they kind of have like they fight and it starts out about fashion, then business, then eventually they just sort of hate each other. And Kara ends up slapping Carol and they sort of, you know, part unhappily. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that you should hit your kids, but I am saying that, you know. Whoa. Well, I'm interested in how how this hot take is going to end here, Fox. (laughs) Well, it's more of just like if you're going to – if you're going to cause a scene, at least make sure that everyone looks good when they leave. Damn. (laughs) Don't give people shiners. God damn. Fair enough. Back in the St. Louis, uh, Kempo has isolated a a nav beacon inside the ship and Flynn tells him to handle it quietly and the master's on it. So rolling back a bit, First Officer Kempo is going after the traitor with the nav beacon. Flynn wants him alive. Relying on his own alien senses, Kempo is able to track the signal, part instinct, part common sense. He jumps around (laughs) using his sweet wrist harpoon and uh, quietly sneaks up on a sneaky alien rat. Oh, my God. And it's a very tiny looking rat, man. They fight. Kempo bites the alien's foot, making it drop the beacon. And the officer (laughs) stomps it with his other foot. Um, With the beacon destroyed, Flynn is able to make the jump. But the saboteur gets free and then takes some kind of suicide pill. Or does he? Because the coolest way to stop someone from taking a suicide pill is definitely, I guess, to cut off the hand. (laughs) That's the suicide pill. Um, yeah, and then suddenly another another sailor shows up. He's pissed because now you've done it. That alien dude's blood is going to anger that giant swarm of black bugs hiding in the ship's hold and about to attack. And we just oh see my God. a dark corner full of eyes of angry aliens ready to strike. Love, can I, I mean, the next, the next episode is a fantastic name. Yeah, Kempo Canapes. Beautiful. Also, I really hope Kempo doesn't die. He seems like the Mr. Monday of this whole thing. He's got kind of a smooth alien look, I guess, doing some doing some fun stuff. Yeah, great hair. Bellardinelli, <laughs> you know, that's kind of his trade. Great hair. Yeah, you know, interesting stuff here. I must say I really like the space trucking parts way more than the corporate intrigue stuff. I'm kind of um, I'm kind of on both. I I really enjoy both. I mean, it's all, all right. set up, right? I'm like I'm getting into it especially because this lady has been basically without being called outright been called a witch a couple of times and they've mentioned witchery. So I'm like, mm. all right, let's see let's see some space magicianry going down, you know? Possibility of space witches. We'll see how it goes. I'm not into them space witches. <laughs> I'm into space wickenry. Whoa. Yeah, hey, man. New and, wave. Uh, yeah. And speaking of witches, both good and bad, Fox. Oh. <laughs> you goddamn best. Thrill four, Judge Dredd. You were setting me up. No, well, listen, you you brought up witches, buddy. I'd be a fool to not, like, grab these handholds <laughs> when they're provided to me, you know? Just goes to show, you know? You can lead the donkey to water, but you can't make it bray or whatever. That's right. Script about John Wagner, art about John Ridgway, and Liam Sharp. Letting about Tom Frame. Oh, that's our boy. Yeah. So, oh yeah, here we go. We're stuck in the land of Oz after going after the kidnapped Jug McKenzie. 
Dread is taking a handcuffed tin man forward when they see the cowardly lion, a.k.a. the perp, known perp Linus X, with yeah. the gun to the head of the wizard, a.k.a. Jug McKenzie, using him as a human shield. Man, I feel like I knew what was going to, like, come here. And he should have also. It's like, come on, buddy. But also, yeah. I feel like there was a missed opportunity for, like, hot shot and then to see a lion's head explode. Mm. You know well, what I mean? I mean like yeah, Judge Dread 2016 style? Yeah, no, instead they're pulling a speed instead as Dread oh, shoots the... Oh, that's my uh, boy. Shoots the host, shoots Jug to get him out of the way, and then he takes down Linus, basically. Baby. Um, also, I should mention, Fox, you might see something here, or as we're going through these Dreads, um, usually uh, um, the, these full-color Dreads will have... Um, one full splash page and then a little note saying like a uh, continued uh, uh, sixth page following or something like that. Yeah. So basically the way these comics were set up was that they'd have this this one color spread. Then they'd have another story sort of in the middle of the color pages and then okay. they'd finish up the color pages afterwards. Is that like cost cutting? Like what is that? It has to do with the vagaries of British printing, definitely, but I'm not sure why exactly. That's um, weird. The yeah, but just something of British printing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. There's, I'm, I'm sure there's some specific reason that someone could tell me that I don't know what it is, but um, you know, but that's basically what, what what's going on here. So just sort of yeah. FYI, probably not going to mention it again on the podcast because a lot of the uh, of the scans that we're using for this show, they've just edited the stories together in order, so we don't have to deal with that stuff. Blessing in disguise. Yeah, thank you, dark web weirdos. I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. So uh, coming back to the story, Jug and Linus both get shot against same Oof. bullet, and then um, then they part. So Dread guns the lion down. He's a maniac, but he gets the job done. Hey, man, it's a loose cannon, but he gets results. Always. Suddenly, the good witch pops into existence. Thought something was missing, Dredd says. And we learned that Dredd can go home at any time by clicking his silver judge boots together three times. He does. (laughs) Still, I forgot he had those. Yeah. He wakes up still in the twister. Well, not great. Yeah, he then comes to in a bed wearing a medical helmet, as you do. (laughs) And he's doing okay. But he says it was just a dream, the med judge says basically what you said last time, Fox, is that <laughs> all of his action in the color stories were things he did in real life. And we see versions of that, gutting oh. down Wheatley's straw by burning the weed patch he was hiding in, etc. I want to um, give props to this because once he's out of, you know, Neverland, mm-hmm. or not God, why Neverland, Jesus, uh, Oz... Uh, they immediately go back to non-color pages, you know, yeah. much like you know, Dorothy. You know, I thought that was a pretty good tip of the yeah, hat. They know what they're doing here for sure. Um, eventually, he's picked up by an H-Wagon and brought back to Mega City 1. And Jug, who was shot, is in an MC1 hospital. Hospital, But since it was Dredd who shot him, it's only fair that they don't arrest him because of that. Um, also, there's like they're counting on their support for a conference and negotiations and what? Yeah. There, there's also political stuff that just means they can't detain Jug um, in Mega City 1, despite the fact that he, you know, obstructed justice in when Jed was in Oz and blah, blah, blah. Boof. Uh, Dredd's pissed, and I guess not all fairy tales have happy endings. Oh, God. Speaking of, like, not happy endings. <laughs> I think it's happy for some people. But yeah, Liam Sharp's on art, and oh, man, it's PJ Maybe. It's looking real good, and also, holy shit, this fucking PJ Maybe. Yeah. We saw him a bit back in Prague 534, but now we're here in full form here. Oh, I mean, full, uh, it is bore. terrifying. 
Yeah, it's what he did on his summer holidays, age eight, sorry, age 12. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I should say we are in full color and Sharp draws the as a, as Liam Sharp draws the rise of this murderous June. Jube and the whole thing's written as a report by PJ maybe, and he is 100% not very good at spelling or handwriting, but he is yeah, very good true. at detailing his various crimes. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have a hobby. Yeah. One night his family is visited by his uncle Fustus and cousin, cousins Watt and Wilbur. They own the, the trouser factory that PJ Maybe's dad works at. So they're eating fancy instant hotties and drinking some fancy wine while they cap on Mr. Maybe. Yeah, they're real uh they're really sniping this fucking guy. Yeah, and they just got a lot of name nominative determinism going on here, just using their names to make big points. Cause they're from yeah. the Yes family. Two S's. Okay. Emphatically um, so, if you go by the name of the business. Yeah, their company is emphatically yes. They make peephole trousers and supply trousers to the judges. I'm not gonna lie to you here, Fox. I'm probably gonna I'm gonna call these these things pants a lot in this story, which is what they call <laughs> underpants in England, but they call them pants. But we call trousers pants here in the U.S. And I can't help it. All right, it's too much. We we can only we can only stay so true to the source material here. We gotta we gotta stick to our roots. It's hard for me to call them trousers a lot, Fox. It's not a term I'm used to. It feels very weird to me. <laughs> it feels like something that farmers wear. Trousers? Um, so Mr. Maybe Get on your plan. trousers, boy. <laughs> Mr. Maybe has a plan for three-legged pants, but the yeses are making fun of him for that and everything else. And that's oh, why yeah. PJ leaves dinner to sabotage Wilbur Yes's car. Seems like uh, real keen to help out his pops. That's nice. Something. Or at least himself through his pops. Everyone thinks PJ's an idiot, but it seems he's just hiding his intelligence. They see him expertly sabotage the gyro unit in Wilbur's car. Oof. Got, you can't fuck with those because some bad things will happen. Yeah. The yeses head out from dinner <laughs> insulting the maybe bloodline as they go. But as Mr. Maybe shows off a prototype of his tri of his tri-legged pants, Wilbur loses control of his hover card. Car and his dread desperately moves citizens out of the way. The vehicle plows into a crowd. Oh my god, not good. All of those people gonna get hurt, but there's gonna be one blown up guy. I will say some of the people in this crowd look very, like, realistic to me and to make me wonder if there aren't some, like, friends or family of, uh, of Liam Sharp in here. But, oh, it's true. He does do a good, like, yelling face. Yeah. The crash kills seven bystanders plus Wilbur, so PJ is now responsible for the deaths of ten people. Oof. Dread himself came by to break the news, and the maybes are right gutted by it, but nobody thinks to even talk to PJ. I mean, he's just a dim-witted boy. Yeah. He suggests they go see Uncle Fustus, and PJ is already planning how he's going to kill Cousin Watt. Oof. So, instead of a burial, Watt has been stuffed oh by God. our old buddy, the taxidermist, Mr. Sardini, though he appears just off screen. It's, uh, this is real weird to me. Yeah. They hold a memorial at the funeral parlor and dreads there to officiate. He kind of just says some very pro forma things and says that he appreciates the trousers. They do seem to fit okay. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Maybe is promoted to the head of design, but still bullied by the yes is. And oh. PJ gives his uncle a week to grieve before he goes to kill Watt. Oh, my God. PJ plays dumb while studying chemical synthesis, sabotages a gift to a neighbor girl and plants a stink bomb at the block park, then makes a powerful hallucinogen. I mean, just really. This kid's kind of dark. 
It's he's real dark, man. He then heads to the emphatically yes factory where cousin Wilbur, whose stuff has been installed in the lobby, and we see his um may uh, PJ maybe's dad has made his three legged pants. He also gives Watts some candy, dosed with SLD eighty eight. Oh my God! What is it going to do? Probably him, make him hallucinate real bad. I mean, actually, it makes him incredibly open to suggestion. Yeah, PJ has him write a hand handwrite a suicide note, which is both sad about his brother's death and a, with a PS that Mister Maybe's an okay dude. Then he jumps Jeez. out the window to his death. <laughs> oh my God! And uh, man, oh man, this is maybe the most graphic picture I've ever seen in a uh, in a Judge Dredd. He's super smushed on the uh, on on the pavement, and apparently I mean, the, the oh, bottom of his jaw is fucking. <laughs> it's terrible, and the drug vanishes from the bloodstream in about twenty minutes, so there's no trace of it. But Dredd must be getting suspicious, which means PJ maybe will have to be much more careful killing his uncle Fuster. Yep, got to make all this look like an accident. Although man, oh man, can Judge Dredd smell some some shenanigans? Seriously. With what? Yes, dead. Mr. Maybe is next of kin to the yes, fortune. God. Dredd is investigating him pretty hard here. Naturally, PJ's maybe, PJ Maybe's parents don't know anything about it. And PJ plays extremely dumb, like just sort of pulling cat's cradles with that mad ball yo-yo he's got. It's not even a yo-yo, really. It's just sort yeah. of a gross head and a string that he kind of dangles from time to time. Yeah, it's real weird. Then he's like walking around with a coffee cup on his head. and Yeah, he lives in his own world. And Dredd clears them. They have to ask these hard questions. Mr. Maybe celebrates because now they're in the money. And we, we see later PJ informing the family of that girl whose birthday gift he sabotaged. They should sue and make some money. And Jeez. While he's in the hospital, because apparently this was just a uh, just a dodge, and he's, he's actually here to get a sample of purple sore fever from a man in the ICU, a deadly oh, cursed God. earth plague. Really just like, <laughs> come it's on, man. Good. Super evil. We see PJ taint the stinger of that bug droid from the first PJ maybe story. Yeah. Good callback, this uh, deadly assassin machine. It's now remote controlled. I think you might remember Fox previously. It was automatic, like it just detected mm. heartbeats and zoomed and zoned in on that. Like Because his first kill was actually these people's pet vulture. And then yeah. he killed the actual people in the apartment themselves. But now it's remote control and he uses it to sneak up and sting the back of Uncle Fuster. Oh, man. And just him explaining how it's just going to be a slow, horrible process. <laughs> yeah. Back at Sardini, Dredd and the family are having Watt's funeral, and it seems maybe is next in line to the yes fortune. Oh boy. Fuster starting to show signs of the disease, but it should take long enough to kill him that the judges won't ask any questions. A mm. very sinister PJ looks on. Soon his plan will be complete, and maybe he's a true yes after all. It's very possible he got the fucked up gene. But I, yeah, so uh, he rips up the report what he did in his summer holidays because nothing ever seems to happen to me. Well, the end. For now. <laughs> oh yeah. my god, that's a, this is this was an amazing dread. I mean, PJ is gonna be one of these big foils of dread going forward for sure. We're sort of seeing it here because the oh unlike pretty much everybody else that dread fights, dread doesn't even dread doesn't even know he's in a battle of wits with PJ right now. You know? No, it's pretty fantastic. He's kind of got that whole Moriarty thing going on. 
Definitely. So PJ will return briefly next episode and again for a slightly longer appearance uh, in, in the new year, 1989. And I guess 2022. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, yeah, next time on Judge Dredd, Strange Customs. Mm. Someone's yeah. coming to Mega City or someone's leaving Mega City. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I, I guess I mentioned I believe this is actually the Christmas episode of Space Spinner 2000 for 2020. Oh. <laughs> just just, just doing some podcasting ahead as opposed to, I think, in February when we'll actually do a, a – when we may possibly do an episode that takes place during Christmas. Or no, no, this is the last one of the year. That's right. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. Really? Yeah. Merry Christmas, you ding Yeah, Happy, happy New, New Year. Year. Whatever else. Um, and speaking of good tidings, Fox – Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> Non-brills, covers, and nerve centers. Although I do, I got to appreciate the reader arts getting its own page. It's Yeah, it's nice to have one of these, although it is, of course, a, a marker filler as well. Um, 591, Moonrunners, where no woman has gone before. Looking rad. Silver hair. I'm into it. Yeah, Massimo Bellinelli back on the cover for some cool ladies in hot spaceships. In the nerve center, Tharg announces Bellarnelli's return to the Prague and teases Hell the upcoming yeah. Judge Anderson, Night Zero, and Slain the Horn God stories. Uh, Sweet. Two of those, yeah, two of those will be in Prague 607, and then Slain's going to be in 626. There All are right. pictures of Hammerstein and Terry, the lovers, and Kylie and Rogue enjoying themselves jamming down. Hey, that's that's cool. A lot of Kylie Minogue's in, uh, in these uh, in, in art right now. <laughs> Yeah. There are uh, – sorry. Letters appreciate the fight against the thrill suckers. Claim that these boots are were, were made for walking is primarily a Megadeth song. Uh, um, I mean, they covered it for sure. But I always think it was a, of a, of a Nancy, as a Nancy Sinatra song as a Yeah, does. strong agree. The requests for more Bell Arginelli and definitely check out Ace Trucking in the annual that we just uh, covered. Fuck yeah! Pretty good one. It's a big. Uh, it's the big uh, epilogue and end to Ace Trucking in there. It's it just it's pretty solid. Um, there's a ton of questions about 2000 AD stories, most of which can be answered by a podcast I know called Space Spinner 2000. Hey, <laughs> and the prog ends with a pretty sweet spin, uh, pinup of Kano looking all Technicolor and Frankenstein-y in a neat image by Brendan McCarthy. That's pretty rad. I mean that that's one awesome flamethrower. Something, some kind of something. Uh, Five ninety two things are looking extremely serial killery in this PJ maybe cover by Liam oh, Sharp. God. Yeah, all these diagrams and pictures of the Yes family and things like <clears throat> that. Tharg plugs the debut of Crisis, and there's a full color poster for it. This prog. There's pictures of Judge Dr- of Judge Red the of a uh, Judge Fred the Bedrock Brute <laughs> and Nemesis the Judge looking cool with these pointy shoulder yeah, pads. Yeah, that's pretty rad. Yeah. Letters ask what the color of the 2000 AD, like a uh, title, cu- title bug thing means. There are requests for more Bradley and DR and Quinch and general discussion of music appearing in the Prague. I guess e- uh, even the thing, the Lords of the New, of the New Church were a goth rock supergroup, I guess. I okay. don't know. Uh, Mid Prague, there's some big old full color ads for both uh, some yeah. magic tricks you can get with crispy tubes. Sure. And a gameplay-free ad for an Olympics game pack for the Commodore 64. Yeah, with the price tag on the man's, like, Tim Tum. Come on, guys. Seriously. 
Next is a 2080 gig guide for the UK Comic Art Convention, complete with a speed drawing of a bad company strip for children in need, which we'll see in a couple months in the Prague. And cool. an ad for the annuals, which we've just covered. The Prague ends with John Brosnan's Flicks column. We talked with the recent spate of child adult switching movies, vice sure. versa, Freaky Friday, now big, etc. <laughs> yeah, one gets made or everyone hears that it, there is one and then it all goes downhill from there. I remember there was a the, like uh, Ben Stiller did a, ke- a sketch comedy show called the Ben Stiller Show in the really early nineties, oh. and he did a song that was about um fa- uh, 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 that uh, that was like the theme song to a father son switching movie, but it was to the uh, to the tune of uh, Metallica's uh, Enter Sandman. It was pretty oh, solid. Okay. Father son switching song. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He also mentions our Return of the Living Dead 2, a plug for the Dirty Movie Book, which he himself wrote under the pen name Leroy Mitchell. And okay. a, there's a mention of the utterly ridiculous Schlockfest and Rowdy Roddy Piper vehicle, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Hell yeah. Then pretty sweet panup of Judge Dredd, both in close-up and on his lawmaster, going against some citizens by Chris yeah. Weston. Man, Pretty looking nice like one. a movie poster, if you ask me. Yeah, I like when you get both the close-up and the action shot. You know, gives yeah. me a real sense of what's going on here. Proc 593, John Higgins draws the Justice Department's big gun. And it ain't the bazooka, creeps. It's an Armageddon 60 millimeter. <laughs> Armageddon. Oh, that's true. <laughs> In the nerve center, Thug welcomes us to the age of Zarjazness. Um, and there's pictures of a... Uh, Sergeant Ernest Bilko, uh, looking uh. very Phil Silversy, and a robotic Judge Hammerstein. Hell yeah, that I can get behind. Yeah, letters ask for a bigger, glossier 2008 cover. There's some questions about Dayran's scene of Bad Company's blood, being acidic or not. And mm-hmm. some hard numbers about the last year of Dread. Apparently he shot or maimed 120 perps and said creep 92 times. Damn. It also seems an alien race has begun worshipping Bert. Good times. Um, uh, Mid-prog, it's time for some reader's art. Everybody gets five pounds. There's a surfing judge cool. We've seen a couple of those recently. Yep. There's a smoking judge medic, a judge duck with a daffy duck shoulder eagle, and judge Kylie Minogue. Hey, why not? Yeah, the prog ends with a pretty good pinup of Judge Hershey, complete with big old shoulder pads by Cliff The Hirsch. Yeah. Always appreciate Hershey. Never enough. Mm-mm. Um Prog 594, don't mess with a sore loser. Colin oh, McNeil hell yeah. draws a Chop. gaunt outback chopper. <laughs> Love how uh, how McNeil puts his uh puts his uh signature and date on and like it just feels like it's etched into the actual board. It's real yeah, good. Yeah, work. yeah, it looks like the brand name for the board or something. It's cool. Mm-hmm. In the nerve center, Tharg's pretty pumped for this new chopper story. There's pictures of Judge Betty Boop and a close-up of Fink Angel. <gasps> Letters inform us that the fifth month in ancient Greece was called Thargelin, and uh, okay. Tharg's pretty cool. A reader surmises that if you wrote and drew everything in a letters page, you'd earn about 35 pounds a week, and he would like to do that as his job. Oh. And the band Transvision Vamp has a song about Halo Jones. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Specifically, the, the song's called uh, Hanging Out with Halo Jones. It's kind of like kind of a, got, got kind of a trippy feel to it. Okay. Mid-prog, there's a full-page ad for the return of Rogue Trooper with both Venus Blue Jeans and Rogue. And I love this contrast between Venus looking very fun and flirty and Rogue being very dour sitting next yeah. to her. Yeah, exactly. Rogue will be back next episode for Hit 4 in Prog 589. Sweet. 
Later, there's a gig guide for a touring production of the comic book-themed stage show American Eagle and a sort of mm. gross ad for the new Tyranny Rex story called Soft Bodies. Yeah, like what is going on with that guy's shoulder? <laughs> there's going to be some warped folks in this one. And I'm not going to lie to you, Fox. I just read through a, a fair amount of it this morning and I'm Oof. very confused. So it should be pretty good. So it's um, the Prague ends with punks rocket skateboarding and an assassin getting mind stretched both from the pages of Crisis Issue 2. Cool. Yeah. And speaking of young people dealing with the world at large, Fox. Oh, man. Thrill 5, Nemesis the Warlock. Oh, boy. This this art is so goddamn beautiful. It's really, really, we're really getting into the Hinklintonist here as we still yeah. go through Nemesis. Script about Pat Mills, art about John Hinkleton, learning about Steve Potter. With purity on his side, Torquemada is chilling out all sexy on a lounging couch, looking at his scrapbook of the last 10 years that he's been on Earth. Um, when he got there, he founded OI, the Organization for Youth, to fight oh the aliens gosh. coming through the time rifts. Opportunity for youth, order for youth. Onward for youth. We see him doing his standard Hitler speech, a lot of oi stuff. We got a sweet rhyme. We are oi boys, we ain't dumb. We kick aliens just for fun. When we've nuttered them, we ain't done. Then we blast them with our gun. Cause we like it and want more. When we start on the chainsaw, we are oi boys beyond your guard. Cause we're really, really odd. Um, you know, all that stuff. Man, it's got some undertones in that one, I feel like. But The fact that most of the alternate reality refugees are harmless definitely doesn't make a difference to these guys. In fact, it's all the better. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. Seriously. Torquemada went from a beat-up old jalopy with swastikas carved into it to a sweet BMW and support from the government. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Bad times. Naturally, yep. the definition of deviant went from transdimensional alien to just people who disagreed with their methods. At the same time, Torquemada opened a chain of bed and breakfasts, often renting to the very same refugees his oi boys were killing. Oh, God. So he just becomes a millionaire real quick by being yeah. just a horrible person. In three years, becomes one of the richest men in the country, and Torquemada is now stoked. He's crowing over converted purity, and we see rippers in gory checkered boards killing the aliens. Oof. And yeah, he's planning to turn his army against Nemesis, using purity to expertly betray him. And then Torquemada will be able to return to Termite with Jenny as new Candida. And he's so stoked for all this stuff happening that he's going <laughs> to go to visit a club she likes, despite it being full of human deviants and weirdos. Hey, you know... He's just got to cut loose. He's got to get into the belly of the beast to understand how the deviant mind works or whatever. He got to see his lady, who's probably some sort of direct ancestor several thousand years removed of his future for, of his future wife, man. Man, that feels real weird. That feels real weird. Definitely not great. <laughs> um as he goes, we bump into longtime Torquemada retainer, Brother Mikron, who worries that the Grandmaster is risking himself, and Torquemada responds. Yeah. I am F the Grandmaster. Off. I am the – oh, do you want to do it, Fox? Sorry. Oh, no. Go for it. Yeah. I am the Grandmaster. I am the Oi Boy. I am the Landlord, Head of the Reapers, Chief of the Two Police, Scourge of the Alien, the first termite to bite back, the one Granny's fear, the one you cross the road to avoid. <laughs> I am Order Personified. I am the Ultimate Human. I am a God. He's really into it. 
It's really into it. And then Brother Mikra knew it was Nemesis who was doomed. Yeah, I mean, you know, but it's I mean, really this goes thrown to in what, on a particular side. Yeah, and this is what we've been talking about, just how these two Nemesis and Torquemada are really um, doubles of each other. You know, last yeah. episode, we had Nemesis do this similar thing with being the Lord mm. of the Flies and Shape of Things to Come and stuff like that. So it's alternative night at the boiler house and Torquemada has shown up in combat boots and skin tight polo shirt along with a six pack oh. of beer. The tuxedoed bouncer tries to tell him off, but Torquemada is not impressed. He heads in and we see a band performing a song about death, blood, leather and chains. And Nemesis. Yeah, I mean, it's really just there. random words. Yeah, he's enjoying the scene. I mean, I kind of imagine it's kind of a droning, like, death, blood, leather, chains, like that. Um, too much singing <laughs> in this episode, sorry. Um, Jenny's there in a sweet hat and fishnet skirt, making jokes about goths and hanging out with that Stuart guy. Apparently, uh, his girlfriend, Stuart. Big Mary's looking for him, and she's getting stoked, but not in the way I always say when I ask Fox if he's soaked through the show tonight. <laughs> just a different way. <laughs> no. <laughs> Very different. And man, oh man, like this Stuart guy can really just like eat, I don't know, a bunch of fucking goat's testicles. Pretty much the worst guy for sure. Yeah. Suddenly Torquemada is there. He wants to answer to the whole be my queen in the few in the far future thing and she says oh. yes and uh in a weird move of him just kind of hunt like squatting and then moving his arm rotating it backwards almost in front of him it's just this weird shot i mean i i you know how there's like a concept in physics of like newtonian motion Mm-hmm. I call a lot of these body moves with these guys Hinklin' Toady in motion, where they're sort of like, yeah, you know, he just likes drawing people twisting themselves up, you know? Yeah, he really does. He likes his bulging muscles and his gross faces. Definitely. Torquemada's super happy. She said yes. He starts planning their future wedding, and she is getting, you know, oh, sorry, their wedding and her getting a bomb inserted in her head and all that kind of stuff. They make oh. out, and only then do we see that it's not Jenny, but actually Nemesis in disguise. It's a deeply weird make out. Is ne- yeah. like tonguing down his baleen or whatever. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. This is uh this is like a thing that's been like being charged to happen for a while. I feel like, and Once it again, suddenly did. Yeah. This uh this whole makeout scene feels very uh, a lot like that that one scene with the deep in that in that show uh, the boys. Oh, um, God. No good. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, deeply weird make out. But as they step out, the real Jenny appears and Torquemada sees her. It's the right time. So Nemesis reveals himself. Oh, man. I've beat myself with a demon. Oh, no. Oh, my God. But when he's transforming and her head is just being lifted up as his, like, shit. It's real gross. Still wearing her cute hat and stuff. It's crazy. Oh, it's real nasty. They get fucking graphic now, man. Yeah. Time to fight to the death. Yeah, sure. Why not? Trying to break some bones, I guess. Yeah, Nemesis and Torquemada both grab sweet electric guitars and go fighting. Um, This ends tonight. Oh, God. It gets very confusing in this fight. I'm not going to lie to you, Fox. I had trouble keeping track of it. I mean, I think it's supposed to be just like a bunch of wily limbs until a gun gets pulled out. Yeah, we do see Nemesis El Kabong Torquemada right away. Uh, They fight and (laughs) rumble. Yeah, always. It seems pretty clear that that Nemesis that a Torquemada breaks Nemesis's arm with a snap, and the snap's made out of bones, which is good good comic book book foley. 
then leaps through the club window to retrieve his kill cannon. Which, oh my god, that's really big. <laughs> yeah, he walks back in, unloading giant AMO shells at the warlock. Meanwhile, the rest of the crew tries to leave, but uh, Big Mary's lying on the ground calling for Stuart, and the man himself comes out of the club and walks right past him as Jenny helps Mary get home, and Mary's puking everywhere. Oh, it's bad times. Oh, poor, poor girl. Torquemada comes out too, his giant kill cannon still smoking. Nemesis has escaped, and Jenny has a bad feeling about all this. Yeah, I, do too. I know what you mean. Yeah, I feel ba- I have a bad feeling just because I feel like things are starting to get getting very hard to track, and I'm very you know I like I gotta go over this a lot. <laughs> also, a bad feeling because we're about to go on a bit of a hiatus, Fox. Oh, yeah. Deathbringer will return in Prague six oh five, three episodes oh, from now, God, right at the end gosh, of eighty eight. Darn, damn, yeah, man, got some gas. Shoot. But oh. soon we'll be back. Oh, man. Ah, uh, I love it. I love it. But yes, I agree in terms of just like I knew what was going on until the fight happened. And I was like, well, I know they're fighting and I yeah, know exactly. he has a big gun now. I didn't even I mean, snap. I didn't even know that he broke an arm. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was like, that's, that's a, cool. That's what it seems like to me. Just because you see kind of Nemesis oh, yeah. arm. That's kind of a weird angle and stuff. Oh, no, that's 110 percent what it is. I just also had to like reread and look at the page a little closer. You know what I mean? But that's yeah. kind of what I like. It's like this a confusing art style that is both beautiful and strange. Yeah, it, it rewards a close reading for sure. Mm hmm. And uh, on the topic of truncated Pat Mills stories, Fox. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Thrill six. Slain. Yeah, that's in and out real quick, isn't it? Yeah. Pat Mills power hour. It's a short one here. Script about Pat <laughs> Mills. Art about Je- Glenn Fabry. Langer about Steve Potter. So post-battle, members of Slain's tribe are fighting and dying for the hero's portion of the big feast. And Hey, man, you got to have some killing during dinner or else it's not a very good fucking, you know, celebration. That's how Celts live it up. Ucko's dropping some Hobbit-style riddles and stuff, but Slane's very uh. restless. Sure, they've killed a bunch of the Sea Devils, and, like, Slane doesn't think it's too many. Frankly, he doesn't think it's enough. Yeah, um, come on, man. Like, why are we stopping at just, uh, you know, a whole lot when we could just kill the whole of an entire species slash society? I mean, at least the ones that have invaded his homeland are trying to wipe him out, Fox. Come yeah. on. Like, it's 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 counter-colonialism uh, or whatever. You know, that's how it goes. <laughs> um, so, but anyway, to fight all these guys, there's only one thing to do, and that's team up with the other three tribes of the Cestair under a high king. Hey, man, why not? But also, hey, why do you want to make there be some kind of king, man? Yeah, why not? More like why. People are pretty much against this. They like just being a tribe, not a country or a nation state or whatever. A strong That's why they king's... hate those other guys. Yeah, a strong king's scary. That's why they elected the old king, Raggle. But that's also why Raggle was really weak in the face of the Formorians, and that one guy had to get his nose cut off to pay taxes. I'm just saying. Um... Yeah, dude, like think that was a good thing i mean they end up cutting his cloak in this one just because he's a real dingus yeah mad at the quarrelsome he won't shut up for so much they cut his cloak to uh, to silence i mean you don't get the quarrelsome by being like a good fighter you just get it for just being a real nuisance (laughs) definitely and slain and slain brings everybody back down to earth by explaining that even if he is high king he won't be a dictator because he'll be ritually killed in seven years no matter what happens 
Yeah, it seems to work out. Yeah. Madad argues that surely the Cauldron of Blood is enough treasure for them, but Slane disagrees because the other tribes have sweet treasures too. The Silver Sword of the Moon, the Flaming Spear of the Sun, and the Sacred Stone of Destiny. Oh, man, that is sounding like some sweet... Uh, like exciting adventure, collecting some like really awesome relics in order to then finally culminate into a wicked ass battle, dog. Yeah, with these four, they'll be unstoppable, and Tiernanog will be free. Wow, sounding good. I'm liking this. Let's jump right into it. Uh, no, sorry, we aren't going to be doing that. Um, we'll be because oh. we won't get because Slade won't be back until uh May of 1989, and. <sighs> Even then, there's going to be a lot of recap and retcon in those early sections of, um, God of the Horn God. Like, they're going to cover a lot of what we're talking about here um, again in the pages of the Horned One. Uh, but it'll still be cool and the art's going to blow your ass away. I'm pretty excited okay. for it. It's going to be good times. <laughs> Man, blowing my ass away. That feels great. Seriously. And speaking of getting blown away, Fox. Oh, man. Oh, man. I cannot wait. Thrill 7 Chopper. Oh, baby. Oh, baby. <laughs> Scripter about John Wagner. Artner about Colin McNeil. Letter about Tom Frame. Man, the metamorphosis that this guy has gone through is fucking awesome. Seriously. Out in the rad back, he waits, eating kangaroo jerky he got from a guy named Smokey. It's goddamn Marlon Shakespeare, a.k.a. Chopper. How has that man survived? And also, how could he not? I mean, it hasn't been fully. Be 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 before the show, actually, Fox and I were sort of talking a little bit about the timelines and stuff like that. Just like, if he was like... Because from what I've been counting with some accordion timing, I sort of imagine the events of Oz taking maybe two weeks at most in real time. Mm -hmm. So it probably ended right about at the same, like in like October of the previous year. So maybe Chopper's been out here for like almost a year or so is my guess. Yeah. You're in some change, man, because that dude has become grizzled and ripped. Beautiful yeah, hair. His hair's really grown out. Hey, don't don't speak too soon about his hair. There's a lot going on with that stuff, as we'll learn next episode. Oh, um, okay. A lot of let's just say it's not just Chopper that's growing that hair, buddy. Uh, Ooh, got some bugs. Um, anyway, he's chilling out here. He's eating. He's checking out snakes, eating rats. We learned that he actually killed some killed some vipers to make some homemade snakeskin knee pads. Um, Yum. But tonight he's got special business. At just about midnight, based on a moon dial he's made, he gets on his hoverboard and heads out. He's learned a lot about the Rad Pack, but he hasn't learned how to live with failure. Ah. Chopper glides back into Sydney, passing over late night surfers and Aussies chilling on rooftop parties. Man, just reminiscing like how, hey, if I had been born in here, it probably would have been pretty rad, but I wasn't, and I lost, and then begins to remember the past real yeah. hard. We see him winning Super Surf 7 and being arrested with a nice recreation of that final page from the Midnight Surfer at Proc 429, and then on to the bitter defeat at Super Surf 10. Yeah. He flies through the harbor, sort of recognizing the differences between that day and tonight. There's no Dane at Dame Edna yacht with solar sails, but there is a big tanker. The harbor bridge is full of traffic. He goes through the city. Not uh, no one notices the him because he's a loser. Oh. He imagines himself back at the Super Surf starting line, sixty others with him. 
He prepares, stops to start, stop, start to stopwatch, and flies off. Super Surf is go. Awesome. He's practicing, man. He's getting ready. Yeah, he's got a plan. Next time, out of the past. Dude, I'm pretty stoked for this. Gotta say, I am yeah. excited for this Chopper storyline. I'm glad he's back. I'm interested to see. I mean, obviously, he wants to challenge Jug. Definitely seems like it. We know Jug's around. He was just in uh, Judge Dredd this week, actually. Yeah, man. A lot of Jug recently, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, Jug's pretty famous. Got that whole Super Surf, surf Tour thing going on. He's got all these sponsorship deals, probably getting real, uh, you know, lazy. Ooh, that's interesting. And mm-hmm. speaking of nodding off when you shouldn't, let's oh my go God. to Thrill 8 Future Jocks. I feel like this is one we would have read before, but I don't know if we have. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we've seen this one, but it is just a little one. A uh, one-pager called Near Miss. Perfect. Script, script about Stuart Edwards, art about Jed Anderson, letter about Tom Frame. Again, one-pager, first time in the product for Stuart Anderson, who's about to do a bunch of Future Shocks and eventually some Tales from the Dog House. The okay. SS Behemoth is hurtling towards Earth as Mr. Len Paget snoozes in his chair, not realizing the danger. Suddenly, he snaps awake, sees what's going on, and grabs the steering wheel because his nice living room is actually the spaceship. Whoa! He wasn't going to crash into that house after all. He wasn't in it. He was in the spaceship, and he turned it around. Exactly. So, next up, a cultural exchange story by Hillary Robinson. Oh, yeah. Art by Jim McCarthy as I Dren, letting go about John Aldrich. And this one is kind of interesting because it's got the word cultural exchange over yeah, and over got, again yeah. in the background, which definitely feels like it's sort of making up for some missing space because this story is kind of cramped in the middle of the page. <laughs> it really is. It's uh, it's a little light on some frames. Yeah, but, you know, two pages. So there you go. Um, yep. Gets points. Paul, yeah. Paul Janner is a scientist following um, – fo- uh, falling asleep working on figures when some alien monsters show up and uh, they ask him for a space Panasonic socket sprocket. Um, okay. Well, an- another one looks at his notes and he suggests just hitting their engines they're having trouble with with a spanner. That usually works. Oh, my God. The alien do the spanner thing. That's a wrench in America, by the way. And uh, the ship does work. And one of them even corrected the ingredients for marbleberry pudding, which he was making. But it also <sighs> turned out to be a recipe for faster than light travel. Oh, okay. Well, Je- great. Yeah, Je- Jenner wins the Nobel Prize and says he was inspired by a dream about aliens as the alien shares the knowledge of Spanner Wacken with the other aliens. Rad. Good times. So Next it worked up, out. Yeah, fine. Nightmare. St- script about Stuart a- Edwards. Art about Kevin Walker. Learning about jo- uh, John Aldrich's Johnny A. A lady named Sue runs from a terrifying bat monster. It almost gets her, but she wakes up with a nightmare. She goes to take a shower, and the monster's there and attacks her again. It's a puzzle. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. This gremlin. Don't let it near water. But just as the monster gets her, it wakes up and it's like, oh, man, dreams always end at the best parts. Dreams within dreams, man. You never expect that you keep getting the tasty morsel keeps waking up in its own dream. You don't get to eat it. That's a bummer, man. Watch out for Scary Terry. Um, Finally, no news. Script about Stuart Edwards, art about Jeff Anderson, later about Jack Potter. This would be so good if it were just two pages, you know? Yeah, longer one here. Armitage P. Shanks is a journalist, but suddenly there's no news in the world. No murders, no kidnappings, no car thefts for six months. Mm. 
He looks into it and finds a report of strange signals in the South Pole and goes to investigate. In Antarctica, he finds a base with a huge radar dish. He breaks it easily because the door is unlocked. And inside, he's greeted by some army guys that know his name. Whoa. They explain that they've been picking up this signal. It's radio waves from Earth bouncing around very celestial bodies and coming back to us. But it means that it comes back from three weeks in the future. They can hear the future in radio waves. Yeah, Indiana Dengus. So they listen to it and then sell that information to other countries. And they can use that to stop whatever crime or accidents get reported from happening. Ugh. Shanks is stoked because it seems it's the story of a lifetime. But then here's the latest report. Journalist Armitage P. Shanks has been missing for three weeks. Oh, no. No, no, no news is good news, huh? Yeah, I guess they killed that guy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the government knows the future and is allowing all these all the bad things that happen to happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Shadow government. Goddamn lizard yeah, in people. In armored redoubts. Um, anyway. <laughs> now that our oh. conspiracy theory um, um, requirements are stated, Fox, I have one question for you. Oh, my God. Did uh, Was there a second sniper on uh, for the JFK assassination? Answer, yes. Man, I don't even, I don't know who even cares about the JFK stuff anymore. You know, it's, <laughs> not, it's old news. Oh, my God. Also, fake news, JFK is still alive. <laughs> oh, my God. Underground bunker. They've been keeping him sealed for just the right occasion when they, you know, finally release him to show that he's the one who's been ruling the government the whole time. That's right. Him and JFK Jr. It's going to be a father and son kind of thing. Oh, but my God. Anyway. Sanford and son, but with, like, immortal presidents. Bam, 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 bam. Fox, what are your top and bottom thrills? Oh, boy. Like, it's hard. It's real difficult this month because, quite frankly, so here are my hitters, right? You got Zenith. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's just starting out, but all of the buildup is pretty gosh darn exciting. Mm -hmm. Then you've got JD. I mean, quite, quite fucking literally, PJ is a creep, and I love it, and he's just a super psycho murderer, and he kills all of his his father's rivals so he can eventually be rich, and now you got me all steamed up. For fucking, like, seeing where this goes later. And then there's yeah. Moonrunners, who I, th I mean, I think it's great because it's, like, also super hot and super awesome at the same time. <laughs> and then you've got fucking uh, Nemesis, which is also super hot, but for different reasons. And I like their positive, you know, attitude. Sure. Towards, you know, hey, you know, order and chaos, living in perfect baleen harmony. It's beautiful. Uh, so it's really hard to choose a top, and if you're gonna twist my arm, uh, I I'll uh, I'll go controversial. Then I'm gonna say Moonrunners. I like it. It's pretty Whoa. rad. It's got some space things that I like, and uh, I imagine, especially with some of your foreshadowing, that this is going to be an epic train wreck that I then have to jump off of immediately. Hey, I'd rather you know. I, I would rather your opinions not be um, not be poisoned by my foreknowledge, Fox. I appreciate your honesty. Hey, look, I your, enjoyed I enjoyed the shit out of it. What's my bottom? I mean, yeah. that's God. Fuck. Tell me. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, I guess. Like, uh, did I use my future shock up one for this year? I don't know. I don't know. I, you can't if you say, want to. I won't stop. I mean, I'll say Future Shocks. I don't want to say. I don't even want to put the Daily Dread in there because actually, I really enjoyed that story. Yeah, it was fun. Um, but I feel like I should be cool and name one of these, 
as bottom. So you know what? You know what? I won't fall back on on the, the, you know on future whatever, shocks on future shocks. I'm gonna say Zenith, Ooh. and and only because not because it was bad, just simply because it wasn't the best. Uh, it's all set up. You know that's the that's the worst thing you can say about it. It is some cool foreshadowing, and I'm really really enjoying it. I'm I'm excited to see where it goes. But you know, it's all yeah. build up to this guy in a plane, and you know they say that the missiles targeted London, but you haven't seen anything explode yet. So it's like, all right, stakes yes. are still being set up. Very so early days for the Zenith story for sure. Yeah, you know. So that's that's where I'll go. And you know what, Conrad? You're mm. gonna you're gonna make some demands. You're gonna make some freaking demands. You're gonna make me right. feel feelings like this. Well, do you know what? I'm gonna just kindly ask you. Uh, what were your top and bottom thrills? Please tell me. Oh well, if it's kindly, then I guess I'll I'll give you an answer. Um, <laughs> for my top, I'm gonna say Judge Dredd. I mean, easy, right? Pretty easy. Like the end of the odd story is pretty fun. And I just really love uh, this PJ maybe being in there, being all evil and killing people, doing all this stuff. That's real cool. He's the Moriarty um, of, uh, you know, yeah, Mega City One. I've often said that some of my favorite Judge Dredd stories are the ones that don't have a lot of Judge Dredd in them. And this is no different, yeah. actually. You know, very much just Dredd kind of being like a cop that isn't, that's falling for all of PJ's schemes. So I'm very interested to see where this one's going to go. I'm excited for this story. Awesome. So what's that bottom? Tell me all about it. Ooh, um, I know. Like, you know, I don't want to say slain because it was just here for, for one episode. And that's not really <laughs> fair. Although I am generally annoyed because I really love, love Glenn Fabry's art. And this just like little three issue, like mini series thing that then gets fully recapped basically in the horn God. It's I'm sort upsetting. Of down on, I guess I'm not. It feels like an ill use of his talents is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, um, I fucking agree with that. But I think and like also like uh, like <laughs> I did kind of have some trouble following Nemesis at certain points. Just sort of what's going on from like I like I've, I, I, I know the story. <laughs> it's just sort of. Yeah. Like I want to also is, see the story. Well, it's the it, like this is something that, that gets really like um really blown up by the fact that I'm tr that I write recaps for all this stuff because it, like it's hard for me to know exactly what's going on panel to panel sometimes in this nemesis story, you know. Yeah. Like I can come out the other side and I and I pretty much know what's going on, but it's hard to be like, "All right, so then this happened. So here's what's here and all that stuff." So, but I think yeah. Mm. I think I might I might join you with Zenith right now, oh, I think. Oh, bottom but, solidarity. But like, Nemesis is on notice. No, Moonrunners is on notice, buddy. Oh. I don't... <laughs> I love Bella Ardinelli's art. I wish there weren't as many humans as there are in this one, just because I feel like he's less strong with that versus crazy aliens. Oh, sure. And like... Mom all, and daughter look nearly the same kind of thing. All, and all the corporate stuff with, like, Kara and Carol and the Van Hertzes and stuff. I don't care. Like, oh, wow. I just find it to be very boring, um, honestly. Yeah, that's fine. Wow. Or I don't know. You're on notice. You're that Moonrunners. You're on notice. It's not doing it for me. And I kind of have – and, like, I've read Moonrunners and I kind of am coming into it with a puss on my face as well, which I, <laughs> I apologize for, but that's just how it goes. Hey, man. Um, yeah. Whatever else. And, uh, you know, I should say also, like, listen, like, this is the last episode of uh, this coming out on the 30th of December. So, Happy New Year from mm -hmm. me and Fox. Happy for sure. New Year. Yeah, definitely. 
Um, and I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitch, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or podcast site, spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter page on Twitter. We're at spacespinner2k. Everything else, spacespinner2000, you'll find us there. And then come back next week as we go big for the first episode of 2020. Oh, my God. Oh. Uh, Tyranny Rex teaches us about soft bodies. Zenith uh, meets with pain. Dread cool. goes on a school trip and checks in with PJ Maybe. The Moonrunners <sighs> have a ceremony. And Chopper and Jug have a rematch. We're Ooh. clearing the decks because we're on the road to Prague 600. Oh, fuck yeah, man. I'm That's stoked. T- That's two episodes from now, but we're clearing the deck for our next episode. And until then, I'm Conrad. He's Fox. And we... Our space spinner 2000, Splendid Splendid Brig! Brig.